0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is week two of an Advent series that's titled Voices from the Edge. Last week, we heard of a vision from the Apostle John from the book of Revelation. Tonight, we look at John the Baptizer and a voice from the edge of the wilderness, a voice of terror and wonder. As we reflect on John the Baptizer and his leading us, his way of entrance into the season of Christmas, I want to share a story with you about a man named Dave. You see, last Thanksgiving, Dave took his niece to the edge of the wilderness and he left her there. He didn't mean to take her to the wilderness. The wilderness was the furthest thing from his mind. It all started out when he went to one of those factory outlet stores, and there he found a big box full of coloring books. They were wrapped in cellophane, so he wasn't able to look at all the details, but he found a coloring book of Bible stories that had a picture of Moses on the front and David on the back. And Dave thought, this is perfect. You see, Thanksgiving is coming up, and my niece Callie is coming to visit us. Wouldn't it be great... If we could all if I could sit down with her on Thanksgiving, we could color those books and we could talk about the nice stories in the Bible and we could begin to work on her spiritual development. I know it's kind of a sentimental thought, he said, but you know, in a way it can be a wonderful bonding event between me and my niece who is my godchild. So when his brother and sister arrived, Dave showed Callie the coloring books. He said, do you want to color? And she said, oh yes, absolutely. Her eyes lit up and she was really excited and she ran to her mom and she got her little coloring pencils and she took the book of Moses and ripped off the cover and Dave told her that this was Moses and that he was parting the waters as he was leading the children of Israel to the land of promise. So Callie opens up the book and she begins just turning pages and her eyes opened up very wide, and she was all excited because there was a picture of a little baby in a basket. So Dave said, Kelly, let's start with this picture. We can we can color the water blue, and we can color the basket brown, and we can color all the grasses and reeds green. But then she turned back a page to see what she had missed. And the page before, there's a picture of a big Egyptian guard, and he's tearing the mu- uh, tearing a baby right out of the mother's arms, and the mother's crying, and the baby's crying, and, the, and Callie looks, and her eyes got real big, and she said, Uncle Dave, what's going on? And Dave's first thought was, uh-oh. But he thought he was safe because Carly wouldn't know what that meant. So he said, that man looks mean, so he must have done something mean. So let's go back and, and look at the story of baby Moses instead. So instead she flips a few pages forward, and she lands in the middle of the plagues. And this page is a huge field and it's filled with sheep. Except all the sheep are laying on their back with their legs sticking up in their air. They're all dead. It's pretty disgusting. And Dave's just, oh no. And Callie's eyes get bigger and bigger. So he tried to get out of the plagues and he turns the pages and Callie sticks her hand in there. She turns another page and there's a man running around just covered with boils and sores. And she said, Uncle Dave, what color do I color these? And he said, oh, color them red. He was just... He really had made a mistake. He thought, okay, one more. At this point, he's just trying to figure out how to get out of this, and his mom calls from the kitchen and says, Dave, I need some help. Would you come and help me? Immediately he says to his brother, Here, take Callie. I've got to go help mom. And he ran into the kitchen, and he left Callie sitting there with her father in the middle of the wilderness with eyes wide open, eyes of wonder but also eyes of terror. And as Dave was going into the kitchen, as he was making his, his escape, the last thing he heard was, Daddy, all those fish look dead. And why are we coloring the river red? Terror and wonder on the edge of the wilderness. Those are the gifts that Dave gave to his niece that day. He didn't intend to. But terror and wonder are exactly the gifts that St. Luke wants to give you with the Gospel reading for tonight as a preparation for the coming of Jesus. Tonight we celebrate the second midweek service in Advent. Advent means a time of coming, a time of preparation. We take time out in the church here to prepare for the coming of Christ. Now in the world, as you saw in that video, this is a very physical time, a time for dragging out the Christmas decorations and putting up the lights and purchasing gifts and sending out cards and writing newsletters. So that's how the world is telling us to prepare for Christmas. But in the church, we do something different. In the church, we prepare not for Christmas, but we're really preparing to meet Jesus. And the way the church has done this for centuries is by having you meet a prophet by the name of John. We know him as John the Baptizer, a voice on the edge of the wilderness. Every one of the gospel writers includes John. And every time you see John in the gospel lesson, you might as well see him with his hand out pointing to Jesus, because that's exactly what he does. He gathers up all the Old Testament prophecies and he connects them to visions of the future. And he holds them together in a way that points us, unmistakably, to Jesus. But the Jesus that John brings to us is not a Jesus that we're often familiar with. You know how we have certain pictures that are very familiar to us. The gentle Jesus who is sitting there embracing the children... Maybe the sentimental Jesus who's looking off into the distance with the sun behind him, bathed in soft light. And then there's a laughing Jesus throwing back his head, laughing at a good story one of the disciples has told him. That's not the Jesus that John introduces to us. John comes into our presence like an unwelcome guest at dinner. When he sits next to you, he smells. He smells like smoke and old animals. He smells like someone who has just escaped from a great fire. And you don't want to ask him about it because when you look at his eyes, they seem to be spinning around. He has those crazy kind of eyes that you're afraid of. His eyes are wild. They're filled with stories of destruction and flames but the fire that he's talking about has not yet happened. It's about to come. It's a, it's a raging of almighty wrath upon the world, upon worship, upon the righteous. It's destroying the wicked. He talks about an axe that's already slashing at the roots of the tree. He's talking about a winnowing fork that's, that's cleaning off the chaff from the bottom of the, of the harvest barn. When John talks like that, it's no wonder you don't find him in the king's palace You don't find him dressed in fancy clothes. You don't find him at a fine dinner. What he says causes him, what he sees causes him to value things differently. And as he stands on the edge of the wilderness, he beckons to us and he says, Come, join with me. I want to show you Jesus, the one who is coming. While his eyes are wild, and he's talking about the the future his clothing is old school a memory of the past he wears animal skins and if you know what animal skins are like they smell he's like the prophet elijah dressed like a prophet who's fresh from the wilderness where he's seen god prophets see god in a different way than you and i do elijah and moses saw a god who could reach his hand up and make the mountains smoke They saw a God who could sustain his people in the wilderness for 40 years by manufacturing bread every morning out of nothing. But they also saw a God who would send fiery serpents among his people to punish them for their unfaithfulness. The Jesus that John is talking about is anything but tame, approachable, gentle, and sentimental. John's eyes also look into the future. His clothing looks like the past. His eyes see into the future. But the words that he speaks to us this evening are wrapped up in your present, in my present. He tells us to prepare, to prepare for the coming of this God. He says, turn away from your sin and prepare to meet Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, get ready for Christmas. He doesn't say prepare for Christmas. He says prepare to meet Jesus. And there's a difference. There's a difference between preparing for a person and preparing for a day. I've known people who are very good, great actually, at preparing for Christmas. They can get the whole house cleaned up and decorated and in order and sparkling and ready to be a magazine picture. For one day. They can get their busy schedules and their hectic running around controlled for one day. They can even get their best game face on. You know, their relationship with that good-for-nothing son-in-law and that crazy son from another marriage who better get stay away from the beer and refrigerator this year. Even tolerate that guy for one day. But that's a whole different thing than preparing to meet Jesus. You see, we can, all, we can all hold it together for a day. We can all get ready for a short time. We can all hold it together because it's going to be here and gone and then we can go back to our normal life. But that's not what John is calling us to. When you prepare for a person, that's a different story. Especially when that person is not here and then gone, but a person who wants to come and stay in your life. A person who wants to come to invite you into his kingdom. And he says, I want you in my kingdom because I need you. I need you to help me with your words, your thoughts, your deeds. I want you to be part of my never-failing plan to redeem the whole world. Getting ready for that person is different because he comes to stay. And your whole life changes your moral messiness, your blinded busyness, all of our broken relationships, those things need to change and they need to change for good. Because the person that's coming is Jesus and he wants us to be his own. Notice again in the reading how John describes this one who is to come. It's not gentle Jesus. It's not the God of quiet moments in a coloring book it's not the God who sits under a Christmas tree. It's not a God who says, Oh, don't worry about your sin. Everyone does it. I'm just glad you're here tonight. No, John says, After me is coming one who is more powerful than I. Jesus will not be more gentle, more understanding, more tolerant. John says, He will be more powerful. John says, where I baptize with water, he is coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus' coming comes always with great terror and great wonder. There's terror in his power. Think of how Jesus appears in the Gospels. Jesus comes and he enters into a synagogue and begins to teach and proclaim that the kingdom of God has broken into the lives of people, that the Messiah has come. And in that synagogue that day, there's a man possessed by a demon. And that demon begins to cry and scream because he knows that God is breaking into the world, is going to overcome the powers of Satan himself. That's both terror and wonder. When people who are sick are brought to Jesus, he doesn't just bind up their wounds, give them something to make them feel better. He says, I not only care about your sickness of your body, but I'm concerned about the sickness of your soul, and I'm coming to heal your soul. I want to heal the relationship you have with my Father so that you will be healed forever. Wherever Jesus goes, suddenly life breaks open. So that sin is confronted and the power of God is seen and the glory of God's action in Jesus Christ is visible and it always comes with terror and wonder because it's so different, it's so new, it's so strange for the people. There is also great wonder. Just as quickly as he appears with power over sin and the devil just as quickly, that power appears to disappear. He is betrayed by his own. He's brutalized by Roman soldiers. He's hung to die on a cross. His disciples, who must have been excited, anticipating that when he came in his power and his glory, they would be on his right hand on his left hand, getting everything that they deserved, how they must have felt when they saw him hanging on the tree dead. And there on the cross, abandoned by his people, abandoned by God, the one stronger than John, dies. And the terrible wonder is that he did it for you. He did it for me. Our moral messiness, our blinded busyness, our broken relationships were all wrapped up in the condemnation that were upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's the power of God made known in weakness. The only one strong enough to endure the eternal damnation that I deserve and that you deserve for your sin, but he took it on himself for us. He bears the wrath, the anger, the fury of God, all of the punishment that we deserved, and he says, I've got it. I'll take it. You? You're forgiven. And this one who suffered the punishment of sin rises and rules over all things for us. And he brings us into his kingdom and uses us in the never-ending opportunity to be about the building of the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm going to come again. And when I come again, I'm going to gather you and all my other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will be with that father for all eternity. That's what John wants to share with us on an Advent evening. So what are you doing for Christmas? Are you going over to, or are you going over to your fiancé's? perhaps beginning a new Christmas tradition with her family? Maybe you have relatives coming into town to celebrate Christmas. Perhaps you have a long trip home, looking forward to seeing that sister who just told you that she's suffering from cancer. Whatever you're doing, when it comes to Christmas, don't forget John the baptizer. Don't forget his message because G- John always points to Jesus. and He says, here is the one whose birth we celebrate. Here is the one whose ministry we, we celebrate. Here is the one whose life gives us true life. John tells us to prepare not for a day but for a person. He stands there with his wild eyes and his strange clothes not to prepare you for a sentimental moment holding candles, singing Silent Night in a dark church and then saying, well, that's Christmas 2013, check it off, let's move on to the next thing. No, John prepares you to meet Jesus, a Jesus who has prepared an eternal relationship for you and wants that relationship to flourish in every aspect of your life. Regardless of what you're doing for Christmas, John reminds you of what God is doing. He's tearing apart the heavens, he's breaking into our world, and he's making all things new so that we who are forgiven might live as the forgiven sons and daughters of God. You've seen what he does. He uses the words of a hymn in the middle of worship to put down the powers of of Satan He brings concern over sickness into concern for eternal healing. He's wild and he's strange and he's awesome. And he's just what we need to prepare to meet Jesus. Waiting, hoping, trusting in this crucified one. Trusting that in his weakness we will receive power. Trusting all of his promises that we will find fulfillment trusting that in his dying there is love and life for us that will never end. If this vision fills you with fear and love, terror and wonder, then you have come to the edge of the wilderness. You have come to stand at the feet of John the Baptizer, like my friend Dave's niece, just beginning to hear the good news, your eyes wide open with terror and and with wonder at the rule of a God who came to us in the person of his Son, not to condemn us, but to redeem us, not to punish us, but to forgive us. If that's where you are at the edge of the wilderness preparing to meet Jesus, then that's where I will leave you this evening, preparing for Jesus. And all God's people said,